you're ready, you push your button. And... I'm ready. All right. Just wait for the little blue line. Hey, everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. Well, if you're wondering why the show is starting late today, it is because we are right in the middle of the annual, fifth annual, actually, the Truth About Weight Loss Summit. And because it airs every day live at 8 a.m. Pacific time till about 2, we're doing the show all week at 2 p.m. Pacific time. And today's guest is actually a speaker in the Truth About Weight Loss Summit. Coincidentally, he'll be up tomorrow. So if you haven't registered, I'll put a link in the chat in the show note. And I certainly hope you do because you're going to learn something really important from him tomorrow about how dangerous weight loss drugs really are. They are not a panacea at all. But today he's here to talk about a different subject because it is the third Monday of the month. And he has a series on my channel called Healing Spices with Dr. Sunil Pai. If you haven't seen part one, I'll link to that as well. It's fabulous. And today he will present part two. Please welcome back to the show, Dr. Sunil Pai. It's very nice to see you again. Thank you. As always, it's a pleasure to be on your show. Today, I'm going to talk about part two, Healing Spices in a series uh, that will have at least a dozen or so uh, series where I cover four spices each episode on the healing benefits, uh, the culinary benefits, and just the historical knowledge of understanding spices. My name is Dr. Sunil Pai. I'm an integrative medicine physician, uh, owner of San Gemini Integrative Medicine Health and Lifestyle Center here in Albuquerque, New Mexico for the past 23 years. and one of the first formally trained integrative medicine physicians in the United States. And as you can see, I'm also an author of uh, a best-selling book called uh, An Inflammation Nation. Now, so this, this information today will be coming uh, partly from my book, but I also want to focus on a book that I'm really driving a lot of this information. I'll talk about the healing parts from my book, but uh, the actual culinary parts and the historical information will be coming from a wonderful book called Healing Spices from a colleague of mine named Dr. Bharat Agarwal, who was formerly at MD Anderson, who was studying a lot of these spices uh, for the uh, anti-cancer and anti-inflammatory effects, which was eventually developed into many uh, drugs that we use today. And again, as we all know, food is medicine. The one thing that makes food and medicine taste better is spices. And, you know, throughout this plant-based history, we've known that people just kind of go plant-based, but they forget to use spices. And I'll talk a little bit later about one aspect that just came up this week, why we should be using the importance of spices um, that kind of hit the headlines. So last week I spoke about four spices and we're going A through Z and I started with Ajuan, Allspice, Amchur and Aniseed. So I hope that those who listened to part one have had to try over the last month to incorporate some of those spices into their diet or just learn to add another recipe or Google it or, or look for a book or even use the Healing Spices book. It has some wonderful recipes in there as well. Again, try to shift over to make them plant-based. It's very easy to do. Um, but today I'm going to talk about four new ones. We're going to start off with Asafoetida. Basil, basil leaf, and one of my favorites overall is black cumin seed. So let's start off with asafoetida, which is called the fable flu fighter. Now, asafoetida has wonderful, wonderful benefits. And this is probably one spice that most Americans do not know about. So most of the things that I'll talk about throughout this series, most people will say, oh, I've heard of it. I've looked at a recipe or I even use it every day in my kitchen. And some things would be like, never heard of it. Where do I get it? How do I find it? Asphatida is one of those things. Unless you live 
you know, or, or eat a lot of Indian food or, you know, Asian food or in, Indonesian food. Asphaltite is something that most people in America have been exposed to, but don't really understand or know about its use. Asphaltite has wonderful benefits and particularly on GI symptoms. Although I'll talk about the flu protection and some anti-cancer benefits as which most plant and uh, spices herbs have qualities. I'm going to talk about the reduction of gas bloating and cramping and how we utilize asphaltite. Now, I have to give a note. Asphaltite is probably the most stinkiest spice that you will find. Okay. And so if you ever go to an Indian person's house, okay, and this is very stereotypical, but this is how you know. Every Indian family will have a little bottle of asphaltite. And that usually comes, you know, in India and we go to an Indian store, we buy this like little cheap little, uh, it comes in plastic. They're usually white bottles or yellow bottles. The yellow bottles are denoting now gluten-free because there's a little bit of wheat sometimes added to spices to, to make it not cake and stuff like that. But it's a very stinky spice. It is not spicy, meaning it's not like a chili hot in the mouth, but it's a very pungenty, stinky spice. And so most people you'll see in their house, they'll have this little little bottle and they'll have a tiffin, which is like a little metal container cover like that they put it inside. And then they usually have another tiffin, another container cutting. It's almost like the Russian doll thing. OK, why? Because it's very, very stinky. Now, nowadays, you can go to the store and you can buy them in glass bottles here in the United States, thankfully, and you can get them organic, which I do recommend. And, and you don't use much. But the idea is that it is a very kind of uh, pungenty, stinky spice. Now, it doesn't mean it's bad for us. It just means it doesn't have that kind of sweet aroma, like, say, when I talk about like basil or like bay, bay leaf or even um, looking at cinnamon, for example, other things that have this nice aromatic uh, smell. This is kind of a little bit of off-putting, but the health benefits are completely uh, outstanding. So first of all, it's super high in, in antioxidants and it's very high in polyphenols, similar to green tea, red wine, and dark chocolate. So when we talk about polyphenols, we always think of these wonderful things. This still has it. Now, again, it's not going to be something that you're going to consume large amounts, but it does have these really, really strong, powerful antioxidant, uh, antioxidant uh, activities. And more importantly, uh, what's in the news recently is swine flu or bird flu. If you're all following the news this week, again, here it comes again. And, then they're, uh, and this is why we want to move plant based is that, you know, the disaster of the swine flu is coming through the animal uh, uh, industry again, where they have to now, uh, uh, you know, basically kill millions of birds. But in 2009, Egypt and Taiwan were actually testing it. Uh, asphaltita and actually it killed the virus better than enantidine, which is a local, uh, a traditional, normal pharmaceutical uh, antiviral medication. So this is something that you know actually should be brought back out uh, this week, hopefully to be used also in in the food of the animals. And, you know, historically it goes back even further. You know, as a flu fighter in the 1918 influenza pandemic, and uh, they actually used to wear it around their neck. Uh, to ward off infection as, as well as taking it ingesting it it does have anti-cancer benefits the studies in, in cell culture has been shown beneficial for lung breast liver oral cancer cells cutting it about 50 percent and more importantly i like to focus on the last two here which is reduces ibs symptoms you know uh intestinal gas bloating and cramping so the key asphaltite is this Every Indian cooking uh, restaurant, every mother, every grandmother, any chef, and you know even a Michelin star restaurant will use asphaltite. How it's used is that we put like a fourth of a teaspoon of this powder in the pan with a little tiny oil with all the other spices. That's how you always you know cook and you prepare the oils to heat it to to express the phytochemicals out of it. Tiny little bit, not too much oil. Remember, because we're trying to be low oil. But when you put it in the pan, we use it a lot to to put in for dishes that have 
beans, lentils, legumes, cabbages, things that make us gassy. And this is the secret of when people go say to an Indian restaurant, they go, oh, I can have this yellow dal soup, for example, or I can have some kind of beans uh, and lentils and they don't get the gas afterwards. But when people go say to a local Mexican, re Mexican restaurant here, and you can see that they even have organic beans and they'll say they go in the line of the, uh, at the little burrito shop and they say, oh, I want some black beans or some uh, pinto beans. What they don't realize is that beans are actually cooked in the canning process um, when they can the beans. So a lot of people think they beans are cooked and then they kind of put them in these cans and they, and, the, and, the, and they close the can. They're actually cooked in the cans and then all that water in the can is all the starches that make people really gassy. And they'd usually dump it in a buffet or a restaurant and then they kind of scoop it up and then kind of throw it in your burrito or, or if you went to any restaurant or buffet, they're kind of throwing in all the food and all that starches that are from the can is in the, in, the, in the food and that causes people to have a lot of gas. So here's one thing that you can do to help reduce the gas is by putting a little bit of asafoetida when you prepare your beans and lentils and legumes, you can tolerate it much better. That's why, again, when people go to an Indian restaurant, they go, oh, my God, I can have the dal soup and not a big deal. But if I go to a local cafe and have a lentil soup, I'm totally gassy. It's all about how you prepare foods. And that's the key where most people have lost the uh, essence of understanding the tricks of cooking. So reducing gas is probably, you know, although it has all these health benefits, to me, it's one of the things that as people want to say, hey, I want to increase the amount of beans and lentils in my diet and reduce some of the symptoms. And asafoetida is one of the star favorites. However, it's a very, very small amount that you use. If you use too much, it will overpower your flavor of your food. So you always want to start low and then kind of slowly bring it up to tolerance as you add other spices to overcome and mask the flavor and the smell of asafoetida. Now, some examples in an Indian restaurant would be sambar, which is a local South Indian dish that I use and we eat very commonly in our part of India. And um, it's made out of lentils and potatoes and carrots and spices, you know, uh, lentil, yellow lentil dishes like dal makani, uh, bean dishes, uh, black eye peas, any kind of beans or lentils. And it doesn't have to be Indian foods, by the way. You can just use it for Mexican food. So when I'm making my burritos, I'm adding it a little bit in my pan before I you know, start, before I even put it in my pressure cooker, for example. These are things that you can add slowly to your food so you can slowly start to increase more and more. Remember, we were trying to get to 50 grams of protein and, and 60 grams of protein as a male, uh, 50 grams as a female, and 30 grams of fiber from plant-based foods daily because remember fiber only comes from plants so this is a way that you can slowly start to increase uh, those amounts to get to a healthy optimum amount without having that other side effect of gas and bloating that most people have now asafoetida's pairs very well with ajwan which i mentioned before in fact right now i'm actually drinking some ajwan water because i have a little bit of an upper respiratory a little bit of a cough and as i mentioned before it actually has a little bit of a coating like effect with suppressing cough um, black pepper cardamom coriander, fennel seed, ginger, mustard seed, tamarind, and my favorite, turmeric. And it complements with anything that can cause a little bit of gas, beans, cabbage, cauliflower. Uh, we always put in lentils and you can also put it in uh, curries and chutneys as well. But asafoetida is something that, you know, it's a very secret spice that people just, are, you know, you can't usually just go to a store and find it. You have to either order online or go to an Asian store, an Indian store, they'll have it there. But this one thing that if you went to just a local, say, health store, you won't find it in the spice rack along with your cinnamon and your cardamom and all those other things like that. Basil is the next one, the garden of youth. Now, I love basil. I love the smell of basil. Most people love basil. There's different types of basil. There's a sweet Thai basil that you'll see a lot of Asian restaurants use. Holy basil, which we use a lot 
in India. And also holy basil is used a lot in now in the natural dietary supplement industry for the health benefits and just regular old basil, which we all think about Italian cooking, for example. The benefits are anti-stress, has heart health benefits, lowers blood sugar, helps improve eye vision health, gout relief. We'll talk about pain relief and even ulcer protection. Now, the health benefits of basil are all over the place, meaning it is fantastic. And again, holy basil is one of the things that we find that has the most amount of research, but all basil similarly has those benefits. Now, when we look at heart health, the antioxidant protection against damaged heart tissue, they actually did studies where when they give the patient holy basil, it actually decreases creatinine kinase. This is one of the things when people have a heart attack, the muscle tissue is breaking down and they're actually showing it as a remedy to help improve cardiac function for someone who has a heart attack. But what if we actually start taking it and eating these things daily or you know weekly in our diet to actually help prevent damage, reduces cholesterol, bad cholesterol, and triglycerides. Cancer support. So very strong antioxidant. As you can see, a lot of antioxidant products will now have holy basil on there, right? Or Tulsi, as we call it. Holy basil is important because it, the anti-activity, antioxidant activities block and suppress livers, liver cancer, stomach cancer, lung cancer, and cell culture so far. Also, sweet basil, as I mentioned before, has that slight scent of clove. That's eugenol. And that actually acts as a COX uh, inhibitor. That's a uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, like when people take a Celebrex, for example, or a, you know ibuprofen kind of thing. So it's one thing that you, we actually can take these oils as well as the food and actually start lowering some inflammation. Now, the best thing about this is that it has an anti-stress component and it normalizes cortisol levels. So a lot of people think of, holy basil always as immune support, immune support, inflammatory support, et cetera, et cetera. But we forget about this normalizing cortisol levels and it stops adrenal hypertrophy. This is key because most people have stress. Stress causes this fight or flight and our adrenal gland starts secreting our cortisone. And then we have this over where we gain weight in our middle part of our bellies and we, you know, we get tired and we get what we call adrenal fatigue. People just get exhausted. They can't get excited anymore. They kind of burn the candle at both ends. Holy basil has this ability similar like adaptogens. It helps with normalizing cortisol levels. So including this in your diet will help lower your stress levels and actually keep your stamina going longer. Now, interesting thing is that it also has been shown to help lower blood sugar levels in diabetic patients, but also lowers their blood sugar when they're stressed because we know when we're stressed, our blood sugar goes up. Stress becomes a pro-inflammatory state that causes glucose dysregulation. So one thing that we can do is increase holy basil. And the thing that we've seen more importantly in my practice, since we look at inflammatory conditions is gout is everybody knows that there's gout, gout, gout in America. There's now books written about gout and uric acid levels, which is just pro-inflammatory triggers of something called uric acid, which causes the joint destruction, comes highly from eating foods of animal protein in nature and alcohol. So again, plant-based going vegan, your gout will go away basically. Um, but this is something that for those people who are transitioning or people who even have a history of gout and they have transitioned out of the diet just to prevent those levels from rebuilding up, adding holy basil or any of the basil products is a wonderful thing to do. Now, examples of basil. I'm really getting hungry when I look at these photos. And just letting you know, for all the photos in the series, I've always looked for vegan photos. So even though some of these dishes are commonly not vegan, I've I purposely found vegan photos just because I want people to understand the, the importance of plant-based diets. Pesto, as everybody will know from Italian food, pesto. Or if you ever had like Thai basil noodles or 
Thai basil eggplant at an Asian restaurant. One of my favorite dishes, by the way. And then, of course, the world famous margarita pizza. This is a vegan one, by the way. And so that's kind of the classic that we'd see some tomato sauce, some plant based cheese and some and some basil uh, uh, sprinkled on top, you know, nicely, nicely, nicely cooked. So these are things that you can use basil in just kind of common things. This is something that most people actually can go to the health store or the grocery market. And you can sometimes they even sell like basil plants. You can even buy a little plant and just pick it off as a time and put in some water and have it grow a little bit. And then you can extend the life of the, of the using the herb for uh, a few weeks rather than just buying it in a little plastic container. Now, basil pairs with a lot of things. Allspice, ajwan, which I mentioned in the, in the first uh, part series, black pepper, celery seed, galangal, which is similar to ginger. And I'll talk about these are all things I'll discuss later on because it's all going in alphabetical order. Celery seed. Uh, ginger, as I mentioned before, lemongrass, one of my favorites, juniper berry, marjoram, mint, oregano, parsley, rosemary, sage, saffron, one of my favorites, sun-dried tomatoes, and thyme. And it complements almost everything. Beans, bread, corn, eggplant, nuts, olives, olive oil, pastas, salads, squash, tomatoes, as most people know, tomato sauces, which most people are familiar with, with basil and kind of pasta, Italian food, and zucchini. So these are wonderful things that, again, adding something like basil, most people actually recognize the taste, but a lot of people just don't buy it. So they will buy a pasta sauce and, uh, you know, but it'll always say like garlic and basil or something, you know, tomato and basil, you know, notice that it's always in the products, but I always like to add additional to really enlighten, enlighten and enhance the flavor and health benefits. Now, the next spice I'm going to talk about today is bay leaf. Bay leaf is an infusion of antioxidants, and it's very interesting because even my historical understanding of bay leaf was a little bit off because we use bay leaf all the time, but I didn't really know all the health benefits of bay leaf. Bay leaf always comes, as you see, when you get it in a package, it's really dry. It's a dried leaf. So we don't really eat it. We cook with it and we extract all the compounds. It lowers blood glucose, has very strong anti-cancer effects, anti-inflammatory effects, ulcer prevention, again, which I'll talk about. So there's two spices today that are talking about helping with ulcers antibacterial and antiviral effects, wound healing benefits, and also, interesting enough, can be used as a mosquito repellent. So if you ever are stuck somewhere, you can always throw some basil leaves and we'll tell you, we can always talk about how you can extract it or even burn it or even use it as, the, as an essential oil and use it as a topical. Now, interesting thing is they actually did some studies, which I, was, I found fascinating, where they're looking at, you know, in the middle here, blood sugar, then cholesterol reducer pretty phenomenal results, lowering bad cholesterol, the LDL 32 to 40%, which is amazing. I mean, statins, we'll be lucky if you can get 10% drop, 15% drop on super high doses, maybe a little bit more, lowers blood sugar 26%, lowers cholesterol 20 to 24%, and inc even increases the good cholesterol. Now, what they did in this study is they actually took the bay leaves and they actually crushed it because we don't eat it. Uh, like that directly. They crushed it and made it into a powder and they actually put them in capsules but to show you that the active components in these compounds are very, 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 very powerful, right? So eventually someone will probably make a drug out of that. Anti-inflammatory effects, the volatile oils that are used in the bay leaf actually can be used for swelling and pain. Again, similar to non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. So in addition to people using our bosmeric, I'm like cooked with bay leaf. And in fact, not only anti-inflammatory, but antiviral benefits. So more recently, prior to COVID, for the original SARS, it was actually studied, and it showed that it slowed and killed the virus. 
Okay, so this is really important because these are things that we have to look at. How do we still go forward just with any kind of virus? Not even talking about COVID, but just regular SARS or even flu and cold. So right now I'm a little bit under the weather, as you may know. So sorry about the little bit of, uh, have a little bit of a manuka honey ginger drop in my mouth. But um, we use a physician strength sign you power spray, which is oregano oil, which I'll cover in a, in a future episode. It's got clove, it's got sage and oil of bay leaf. And that is antibacterial and antiviral. So we use it as a nasal spray and it's great. I actually use it the last couple of days to help kind of clear this little upper respiratory uh, thing that I have going on. Now, more important thing is that it has some stomach support, prevents ulcers, improved digestion through improving acid secretion. And interesting enough, it has antibacterial effects. Now, remember, I was using it in my nasal spray, but we use it in the food so much. Why? Because, you know, there's a lot of foodborne contamination. There's a lot of foodborne illness. Strong antibacterial effects on E. coli, salmonella, and listeria. Now, these are the three common foodborne illnesses that come from eating animal protein. So, but, you know, since most of the majority of the world, unfortunately, is eating this way, and but we put, you know, these kind of foods in you know, animal proteins and stews and soups and things like that. This is how, you know, historically we've used and, and through all culture has used these things to have like a, a preventative protective effect, right? It's been effective against 176 strains of bacteria. So you'll see a lot of times it's used in cooking everything from a rice dish to a soup or a stew. Um, and, you know, we, again, plant-based, we still use it because of all the health benefits. But on another side, you'll see like when even people go to other countries and they see packaged foods or pre-prep foods, there's still the bay leaf in there for this reason of not only the taste and health benefits, but also kind of like a natural preserve to try to help prevent bacterial overgrowth. An interesting thing is it can be used as a, as a mosquito repellent. The volatile oil from bay leaf can help deter mosquitoes for like two hours, which is still better than using any kind of neurotoxin deep product, <laughs> these, you know, these sprays that people put on. Um, so you can always go get it like maybe an essential oil of bay leaf and uh, use that topically with the, with the carrier oil or maybe even in a little diffuser or even burn the bay leaf itself and put it a little bit in, in a little bit of a tray. Examples of bay leaf is as most people see is you'll see it in rice pilaf, right? Anytime anybody makes a rice dish, we always throw it in the rice cooker. Right. If we're, or importantly, if we're, if we're making like lentils, Puerto Rican spaghetti, you know, um, tofu adobe, uh, tallarines rojo. These are just different dishes. If you don't know what these are, Google them and go make a recipe. I'm trying to pick different foods from different cultures, by the way, just to get people to use the spices in a different way that they may not have known it or been introduced to it. So I'm trying to not only introduce the spice, but I'm always trying to do with all these photos and examples, a different dish from a different culture because they use it slightly differently. And so a lot of people say, well, what is Puerto Rican spaghetti? Look it up and you'll enjoy it because it's, it's how they kind of prepare. Every culture has a different way of making a similar dish. And sometimes like, wow, I always get tired of making my spaghetti the same way. How can I make spaghetti, quote unquote, with the different like vegetables or different spices? And that's one way that you can use bay leaf in your cooking. It pairs well with these spices, amchur, remember, which is the green mango, which I mentioned before, black cumin, which I'm going to talk about next, black pepper, which will be coming up in a future episode, basil, which I just talked about, cinnamon, cumin, garlic, onions, oregano, parsley, rosemary, sage, and thyme. And it complements, you know, sauces, soups, steamed foods, stews, and tomato sauces. So you'll always see you're making a pasta sauce, someone's putting a bay leaf in there. You're, you're seeing a stew or a soup 
we're putting a bay leaf in there. So if you don't have bay leaves, go get some bay leaves because they're, they're dried. They don't go bad. You put them in a little jar, glass jar, and just throw one or two in your dish, cook it. Now, the only thing is, remember, you're not going to eat it. It's really hard. So what happens is after, let me go back here, is that we will take and remove these things. You know, we present it in the dish, but we actually don't actually eat the bay leaf itself. It's kind of hard and it can be very sharp. You don't want to get be stuck in the throat. So we cook it. We get all the aromatics. We get all the essential oils. We get all the uh, phytochemicals from it. And then we keep it aside. And then finally, I'm going to talk about is my favorite black cumin seed. This is one of my favorites and coming next to my, you know, curcumin and boswellia and ginger and black pepper, which is my favorite. But I'm going to talk about this amazing cure-all called black cumin. Um, it has a lot of benefits, but what I want to talk about is not only heart health, anti-cancer, immune support, allergy, and asthma. It's these little black seeds. And what I want to talk about before I get into this, I'm going to read a couple of things here, is there's a quote from the prophet Muhammad, the founder of Islam. And, it, and it, he was quoted to say, it is the remedy for every disease except death. And even the Bible describes it as, quote, curative black cumin in Isaiah 20, 28, 25. It was even found in the King, to, uh, King Tut's tomb uh, to accompany, uh, accompany the Pharaoh to the afterlife. Hippocrates referred it to as melathion, which is a little black seed. In Old Latin, the spice is called Panacea, which again is cure-all. In Arabic, it was known as Habat al-Baraka, or the seeds of blessing. Uh, it is also known as Kalonji in India, and in China, Hakjung uh, Shao. Um, so it's really interesting because it's a, it's a huge historical use, not only from when we think of like from Hippocrates days, but going even further, and culturally, religiously on both sides, you know, from a Christianity standpoint and from an Islamic standpoint, the importance of this spice, it goes back very, very far. And classically, now again, the world is modernizing, so we're kind of losing some of these historical purposes and use, but most people, for example, in Indonesia and Middle East, particularly where black seed is found heavily, is they actually would drink like a spoon of black seed oil a day. Okay. And, you know, like just how like kind of in America for generations, people would have like cod, cod liver oil, <laughs> right? Um, interesting thing is because there's a lot of health benefits, a lot of the essential fatty acids and other aspects, which I'll talk about in a second, that is in black seed oil. So they would take it like a tonic. It's really, really peppery. And, but they would drink it. Now, again, as, generations of changing and people want supplements and people are kind of moving away from natural things. But if you went to any kind of Middle Eastern store, you'll see black seed oil or anybody's home. They usually would have it in their house. Like this is just something that we take every day as a tonic. Um, one spoonful a day was kind of taken similarly, as I mentioned before, um, and it's been given all over the world. Now, the spice is spicy in terms of a peppery taste. It's kind of heating in quality. So it's very similar to black pepper. It has that little like, you know, strong, pungent um, peppery taste, unlike the other ones I mentioned before, like the, the basil, which is very sweet and the and the bay and the bay leaf that doesn't really have a, a pungency at all. Since the book Healing Spices was published and it was written in 2011. There was about 300 studies on uh, black seed and black cumin seed uh, is um, botanically is called Nigella sativa. OK, and that's how you want to know when you buy black cumin seeds. That says Nigella sativa. Otherwise, it could be a variety of other things that may have similar names. OK, and 
there was a study reviewed by the University of South Carolina where they looked at 160 studies and they concluded that it was one of the most promising medicinal plants to be studied. And they described it as, quote unquote, amazing. But since then, very interesting, there's been over 1600 studies because the explosion in the scientific literature is enormous because of these health benefits. Now, why is it important? Because studies from chronic inflammatory diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel diseases such as Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, asthma, heart disease, and all type of cancers, and more importantly, last two years with COVID, studies like double-blinded randomized controlled clinical trials have been conducted on using this showing reduction in inflammatory and improved uh, inflammatory uh, side effects of COVID and extending and improving outcome, just like the curcumin was done like in our bosmeric product, which I mentioned before. Now, black human seeds have a main component, what is called the curcuminoids of the black seed is called thymoquinone. And the interesting thing is this compound is not found in any other plant or herb. So this is really unique. So although like a lot of herbs have kind of similar antioxidants and similar, you know, vitamins and minerals, this is very specific. So this is quite interesting of why it may have been kind of touted so, um, you know, hi highlighted so well in, you know, in religious benefits uh, of healing and historical benefits. Um, it has essential amino acids, it has essential fatty acids. So just like how people would take a fish oil or a cod liver oil, which we would want to avoid for all the toxicity and all the sustainability issues as well, is that here it still has those fatty acids. So essential fatty acids, amino acids, vitamins like beta carotene, interesting enough, because we always think of beta carotene being in almost like orange colored foods, minerals like calcium, iron, and potassium. And there's more than 100 compounds that are found in black cumin. And with the volatile oils, which they're now studying, there might be even more to be discovered. Now, studies showed that if it's regularly taken for four weeks, there's a 30% increase in natural killer cell activity. That means your own soldiers, your troops, upregulate, meaning they get stronger, and they're able to improve fighting, fixing, and repairing 30% more. So this is something that, you know, what can we do to kind of help prevent us from getting sick is taking things that help support our immune system. Studies show favorably in heart disease, blood pressure, cholesterol, weight gain, blood sugar, and even affecting waist hip ratio. So these are the things that for heart health, wonderful. And then the hot areas of research, again, where there's now more studies than ever, about 1600 studies is looking at anti-cancer activities. It helps with breast, colon, prostate, lung, esophageal, ovarian, blood cancers. An interesting thing is it has shown to stop the proliferation of cancer cells dividing and multiplying. It has been shown to stop metastasis of cancer cells and shown to stop angiogenesis of cancer cells, which is when the cancer cells start to develop their own blood vessels. And it triggers something called apoptosis, which is the death of cell cancers or cancer cells, sorry. So it actually switches the, the cell of the cancer cell to turn off 
right? This is what we're trying to do with drugs and chemotherapies. And similarly, it actually has been shown in more recent studies, again, this is where some of more of the popularity is that it helps improve the side effects, lowering the side effects of chemotherapy and making chemotherapy more effective. So I'll give you an example. There was a study with pancreatic cancer where when they pre-treated the thymoquinone prior to chemotherapy for pancreatic cancer, it showed a 60 to 80% reduction versus just 15 to 25% reduction with the chemo alone. Again, 60, 80%. These are, these are things that we are getting from our food. Food is medicine, right? And the thymoquinone has been shown to downregulate two genes that have been linked to survival of cancer cells. So it's not just like a chemotherapy is killing something. It's actually, these are the plant foods have this ability to upregulate and downregulate genes expressively correctly without doing damage, where sometimes drugs, we just give something and it actually causes DNA damage across the board to healthy and, and also uh, cancer cells. Here, we're looking at specificity of looking at su supporting health mechanisms like upregulating what we want to upregulate in your immune system and your uh, cells ability, and also downregulating when we want to turn it off. It also has been shown to have direct uh, cell metabolism, uh, anti-cancer benefits, anti-inflammatory effects, and even on human leukemia cells, thymoquinone has been acting on a genetic level by stopping the disorder regulation of proteins that control DNA and mutations in the DNA are the pathway to cancer. So really, really powerful because now we're talking about changing DNA. Again, not just inflammation, as I always talk about on a, on a larger scope or larger mechanism of action. And then also it has this wonderful antioxidant, anti-inflammatory. Again, what I always talk about, inflammation helps reduce inflammation with pain lowers interleukin-2, interleukin-4, interleukin-6, interleukin-12. These are all interleukins that have been found that we're looking at inflammatory bowel diseases like colitis. More importantly, studies on MS and showing how it affects the microglial in the brain and the neurons in terms of the inflammation that MS patients have. It actually helps downregulate and control that inflammation specifically in the um, neuroanatomy uh, system. Also been shown to help with epilepsy. And more importantly, recently in Western medicine now, we're looking at asthma support. So the improvement of reducing asthma symptoms, frequency, uh, the, the long, the, the, those issues of having uh, improved pulmonary function tests. So it's not only lowering the, the amount of asthma someone gets and lowering the severity, but actually improving lung function, which we usually don't get with drugs. Drugs can always lower the symptom, but drugs will never really improve the function. And here, this is where foods and foods become medicine are actually helping us with those aspects. So, and I'm also excited to announce that this year at Sangevity, we'll be releasing a product that's going to actually kind of shake the industry because we've now been studying the black cumin, just like I did with the, with the boss American, the curcumin, the bus the ginger, the black pepper. We've been studying it very well. We've, we have some patents going on and we've had some clinical trials going on and we're going to bring something that will be unique and revolutionary that uh, will be amazing to experience. Now on the black cumin seeds and food, here's, here's what people can always see it as. If you ever went to an Indian restaurant, you have naan, which is the bread that we make. And we put it usually in the tender of the clay oven. The little black seeds in there are black cumin seeds or Russian rye bread. 
If you ever had Russian rye bread, delicious, by the way. Potatoes and red sub pumpkin subjis, one of my favorite dishes. Again, it's just kind of like a potatoes and, and red pumpkins, and it's just with the spices. It's just kind of soft. It's a nice thing to eat during the winter time. We use it in a variety of breads and a lot of um, things like puri. These are like kind of fry breads in a way in India that we use. Also, we use a lot of pickled foods because it has that, that peppery pungency. You can use it in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, a lot of times people can use it in the dish itself, but we always want to complement it and pair it with something else. So when you pair it with certain spices, since it is a little bit of peppery, I kind of have a little bit of the sweeter spices that go along with it. So cardamom, you know, uh, cinnamon, cocoa, uh, coconut clove, ginger, which again, will have some of the spiciness along with it. So sometimes it can be very similar. And sometimes you want to pair it with something that has a little bit of a, a, a pairing opposite or something that will go complementary with it as well. Um, ginger, nutmeg, turmeric again, and vanilla. Complements is breads and biscuits, chocolate, delicious, uh, chutneys, mangoes. You'll see it a lot of um, potato dishes, rice dishes, and breads and biscuits, probably the most that you'll see uh, black cumin seed. But this is probably one of my favorite things of all. And I, I highly recommend people to go buy some black cumin seeds and buy some of these other spices and try them again. And this is the end of my series part two. All right. Thank you. I see some questions in the chat. If you don't mind answering, I'm going to take you sure. off screen share. Sure. Okay. All right. So let's go with the ones that are in the chat because they are on the topic that you presented today. And then I'll go to the ones that were sent in. Some are and some are not on topic and you can choose to answer them or not. Sure. The first, I'm just curious. So the first spice you talked about, asafoetida, yes. I hope I pronounced it right. Is yeah. that also known as hing? Hing. Sometimes? It is also known as hing in Asian restaurants and on the bottle, it might say hing, H-I-N-G. Um, so, and then asafoetida, by the way, is probably spelled like 10 different ways, by the way. So I don't think there's a right or wrong way to spell it because every time you put it in Google and anytime you go on the store, for example, if you go to bond online retailer, you'll see it spelled quite differently. So I really probably can't answer what is even the, the correct spelling because it comes up differently, uh, different in different places. I heard about it from actually Chef Darshana Thacker, who was on the GI Health Summit. For people like, for example, maybe they have IBS and they can't have onion and garlic to kind of simulate those flavors. Yes, it can be done exactly like that. But I just have it for everybody who uses any, you know, because for me, it is one of the things that I always want to, you know, most patients will come in who are transitioning over to become plant-based because they know that that's what we're supposed to do, especially if they're coming to see me. And the, the challenge is that most people have not eaten as much plant foods in their diet. So every time they're slowly increasing their fiber, they're like, oh, I'm getting gas and bloated. Or they have something like SIBO, for example, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or some other dysbiosis. So we want to increase the ability for them to consume those foods. And asafoetida is one of the ways to do that. Yeah. And uh, it's for people like <laughs> low FODMAP, they can have that. Sure. Absolutely. And uh, it is one thing over time that if people can, you know, when people are on FODMAPs diets, which is to me a little bit of a not correct way of feeling things, it's a temporary way of some doctors who thought, well, if these are the foods that cause gas and bloating and someone has a small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, let's not have them eat those foods so they have less symptoms. That is true. They feel fantastic. But interesting thing is those are the foods that actually will prevent them from having SIBO again. And those are the healthiest foods that we know, like beans, lentils, legumes, um, that you know improve the microbiome the most and also for longevity and everything else. So what we always want to do is we always want to increase those beans and legumes 
after someone has been treated for SIBO or some kind of dysbiosis, because at the end of the day, they need to get to that 30 grams of fiber a day from plant foods so that they reduce their risk and it will start to transform and change their microbiome. So that's more preventative at them getting an imbalance or overgrowth. I first heard of Hing from a religious sect in Los Angeles that, that for their reasons, they couldn't have onion and garlic. And that's why they use that spice. Yeah. The Jane, the Jane. Yeah. They, they, they can't have onions and spice uh, onions and garlic. So they use that because it has a, it has that pungency to that. You know what I'm saying? It's one of those things that not a sulfury smell, but you know, there's a little bit of that. It's a, you know, how garlic and onions has still a little bit of pungency. So it can, it can add that to the flavor and to the food for most, uh, most cooking though, we don't use it predominantly for that flavor. We use it for all the other health benefits of right. what we do when we mix it with it. And that's why when we add it, it's usually the lower amounts. And then we add other spices on top of that. And we kind of stack the, the flavors over it so that it's usually most people will never taste the asafoetida in their food if it's done correctly. And that's why most Americans don't know that they've eaten it before. But if they've eaten any kind of uh, lentil or bean dish in an Indian restaurant, they've had it. Yeah. It's not something you see in a regular grocery store. No, not at all. Do you know why they can't have onion and garlic? No, I don't. Okay. Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. Well, um, nurse Sandy is you're going. I think people might not know you're going in alphabetical order because she asked, "What about stingy nettle?" That's with an N. N is it nettle? Yeah, or S, depending on if you're going to count this thing. That's going to come later. Okay, but just letting you know, stinging nettle. I, I mean, as a as a from a from a medicinal or integrator perspective use, we use it a lot because it has a lot of antihistamine effects. Now, some people can be allergic, just letting you know, like when we do our allergy testing, environmental allergy testing, stinging nettles is one of the weeds that are common. So we have to be careful because some stinging nettles is put into a lot of formulas over the counter and a lot of teas over the counter that help with allergy and sleep and relaxation and has a lot of these, you know, antihistamine anti-inflammatory effects. So you have to be careful because some people say, oh, I take a sleep time tea or some kind of calming tea. And if they get congestion or sneezy, they're actually allergic to the stinging nettle. And so we check people all the time because one of our formulas, Histoplus, that we use as a natural anti-inflammatory, like a Zyrtec naturally that doesn't have side effects, it has stinging nettle. So if someone comes in and we haven't tested them yet and they take it and they go, oh, I got sneezing, they probably have a stinging nettle issue. But it's one thing that we can use also from those aspects. Interesting. Gina says, um, a is holy basil the same as regular basil and sweet basil? And where do you get it? Yeah, so there, there are three different types of basil and you can get them at the grocery store in the produce aisle, but depending on where you live is where you know they have. So like, again, most people are used to just regular basil. If I went to the, say Trader Joe's or uh, you know grocery market, because we're looking at basil for Italian cooking, really, is what we predominantly is going to make spaghetti sauce or something like that. Um, if you went to a Thai restaurant, they would go to an Asian grocery store. And then when they buy the basil there, they will have the Thai basil, which is that sweet basil. And then holy basil is kind of what we get in Indian as well. So, but you can go to the store and look for it, you know, and but sometimes you may only get one or the other. They all have health benefits, but the, the flavor of the basil is slightly different, right? And so that's why we use one for more like Italian tomato sauces and that kind of cooking and one for more like the Asian stir fry. And the other ones as well for Indian cooking or, or Indonesian cooking, um, but they all will have basically similar ones. The research, though, has been studied a lot more on holy basil um, or, or we call it tulsi. Uh, and in fact, we actually use the, the, the seeds as mala beads, right? When we do our like the, the, the rosary or the, the prayer beads, we call it. that's actually made from the seed of the holy basil plant. When you just buy dried basil at the store, like for marinara sauce, is that sweet basil? 
Uh, it's regular basil. Regular basil. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see. Are these are plants also that you can grow. So some grocery stores, you know, they'll have like the basil, like a little plant. I always tell people like when they have, sometimes they're like in season that the stores will always grocery stores will carry. It. I always like that because it's a great thing to keep in the house. Uh, it also is a great thing that has anti, you know, viral antibacterial effects. So there's a lot of historical use of people actually putting certain plants in their kitchens to help prevent illnesses, not only just eating it in the food, but also as like an environmental thing. You know, today we have diffusers and we have, you know, HEPA filters, but there's just things that we have to look at. Like there's reasons why certain cultures put certain plants uh, also in their, their living environment because there was also an environmental benefit of that as well. Nice. And here's a question. I saw it a second ago from Georgia. If you would, this is great information. Would you share your slide deck? Um, it's on the website. It's on the YouTube here. So I don't know how to. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You could look at it again. It's available yeah. right away. Uh, Linda says, what's the best place to purchase fresh spices, fresh spices? And is nettle leaf tea good for kidneys? Nettle is N. So you're going to have to wait probably. Yeah. Yeah. Again, they're looking at the, the genital urinary tract issue with that, which is, um, I'm not sure where to get the, the nettle leaf fresh. Um, because I haven't really seen that in the store. Uh, it all really depends on where you live when you get spices. You know, the bigger city you live in, then the more access you're going to have to all the fresh spices, particularly when you go to uh, Asian stores. And, you know, like I live in Albuquerque, so it's very difficult. We only have a, very, a handful of things. But when I go to Maryland, if I go to L.A., if I go to you know New York, something, I can go and, and there's like so many things, you know, even vegetables and fruits that you'll never see. Uh, in a regular Whole Foods or Smith's or you know Albertsons or Rayleigh's or whatever the average person will go to. Um, and that's the, the challenge is because most of these things are like even different types. Like I just went the other day you know, to get Asian eggplant, for example, and that's different than regular eggplant. And so you just can't get. I like the Asian eggplant much better. Always much better. You know, uh, it just tastes better. It's a little it's bit firmer, prettier too. It's prettier and smaller. It cooks well. Yeah, uh, that's it, why we have that Thai basil. Better. We have that Thai basil eggplant. This, you know, it's the Asian eggplant cut. And it doesn't have fun. the bitterness of traditional eggplant. No, no. and that's why I grew up eating, loving uh, Asian eggplants. And then when, you know, but when I went to an Italian restaurant that had like eggplant Parmesan, for example, I always found it like really bitter. I'm like, oh, no wonder why they had to batter it. And then they had to put sauce on it and they had to put cheese on, you know, they had to put all these flavoring because they had to mask the kind of bitterness of the, of the eggplant, but the Asian eggplant is much sweeter. Yeah, I agree. I like it much better. And there's a lot of questions on black human seeds, for example, sure. where do you buy it? How much do you recommend for cancer patients? And can you grind it just like black pepper? You can grind it just like black pepper. You don't use too much. And so so the only thing is when it comes to treatment for uh, conditions, you know, I would have to say make an, an appointment with me or a consultation. We can help you that uh, with that. We actually provide, uh, as I mentioned, recommendations from using it for more medicinal benefits. Then it's going to be standardized and we're going to standardize it for a certain amount of thymoquinone. Now, most black seed oil, just to give an example, if you went to an Asian store and you bought black seed oil, Okay, as a tonic, like you know, like a like a fish oil kind of thing, right? It has, you know, they're taking a teaspoon, but that has about one. If you get cold pressed, organic, you know, remember that a lot of these things will have, um, a lot of these things will have, can be cut, right? It's oils, right? And there's a variety of grades of oils, and you'll see. Um, and some people will over, oversell it, and you'll see it on on health stores, maybe a little bit too expensive. But if you get a high quality oil, it's still about le less than one percent. 
thymoquinone. So it's a small component. It's kind of like curcumin, you know, you know, three to five percent of turmeric is curcumin. This is like less than one percent of that comp compound of, of thymoquinone, which is the star compound. There's hundreds of important compounds, but the one that we find so far in the research is super powerful. And remember, that's the only compound that's been found in that plant, that seed. It's not common found. It's not found in anything else. That's what makes it so unique. But we're able now coming out, we're going to have something that's about 20 times, 25 times stronger, but we're using it as a medicine, right? So I recommend when people are using it, you know, use it in the recipes that you'll see on the, on the internet. If you look up anything with black seed or something, we're just using it like a fourth of a teaspoon or less. So it's not a lot. The oils are always going to be much more concentrated, but then people are taking it for the fatty acids that I mentioned before, right? Because we're going to have the mega threes in there, right? So instead of having a fish oil or plant oil, you can have black seed oil, but I have to give you the caveat. It's super peppery. So what's why is it not really used popular here is because when people drink the liquid, it's spicy in their sense, or they can get a little bit of reflux because it's, it's an oil and it's a hot oil right now. People in Asia are used to that, but here people might be like, that's just too much. So then they have to make it in soft gels. We're actually going to have eventually it into a capsule. Where there's no oil. Interesting. Yeah. Thank so um, lovely asked. And I'm not sure what she was referring to because, you know, they were typing while you were still talking. How much do you take for hypertension? I don't have the, the number off the top of my head for the study, but what, but I, if I'm giving it as a, I would be taking it as a pill for taking it for hypertension because I want to make sure that we're getting a dose dependent thing. So we would be taking it something like one twice a day, but I'd be looking for a higher thymoquinone component about 20% or higher if possible. Um, you'll see a lot of things saying like 500 milligrams, a thousand milligrams, et cetera, but it's really the thymoquinone component, uh, is what we're measuring, not the amount totally. Um, if you were taking a liquid, then it's usually a five, uh, it's a five gram serving that's given daily, but I'd probably div divide that dose twice because we, we're trying to maintain blood pressure. We probably need to have it a twice a day at least. Great. John wants to know where the part one is, and it's in the show notes. Look right below the video. If you don't see it, refresh your page. It's there. I put it there. And will there be a part three? You bet. That's going to be a part, part 12. three, a part 12. Yes, there will be. Absolutely. And I, you know, one thing I, I recommend is, um, it, although it's not my book, the Healing Spices book, you know, that you know I'm, I'm talking about, which is this one here, right? Is on the, on the very end. So outside of each chapter, it actually has collections of spice mixes that you can make. So I started looking through that the other day because I was like, hey, you know, so like how to make a, you know, Chinese five spice or a Korean something or an African something or, or, or a French something, you know, there's all these different you know, herbs de Provence. Like we usually go to the store and we buy kind of pre-bought mixes, but it will tell you like how to make your own mix. And I feel you know, just like how a lot of people think, you know, oh, let me go get curry. And they think curry is like, a spice that you get at the store, like cinnamon, curry is a blend of different spices. Then that's the big misperception. And so, you know, I, I thought it was fascinating because every time I go to the store, sometimes I'll find this, a flavor, like I'm having a dish. The other day I was thinking of Chinese five spice. That's why I was looking it up. Like, does he have it here? And he has it there because sometimes I'm like, I want to make it rather than just buy it at the, you know, buy it at the store pre-made. Because sometimes you can then twist or accent a certain spice that you really lean towards. And I want to accent that a little bit higher or that flavor profile or that aromatic profile in my dish. Um, but it's nice because at the end of the day, you can have this wonderful like medicine chest of, you know, what we call pharmacy, you know, with F-A-R-M, pharmacy of foods that are medicine. Now, I did want to mention something because it came up earlier. 
Um, there was a great article that came out this week, and it was quite shocking if anybody has seen it, but it was by Bloomberg um, Business Week on Zantac, right? And how the makers of Zantac, uh, which is an acid blocker pill, uh, the makers kept the quiet for about the cancer risk for 40 years since this drug has been out. It's a huge article, a big expose, right? And one of the things that I hear from a lot of my clients, my patients and my customers, you know, especially for about 40, 50 and, and older, they always will come in and say, I can't have spices, you know, it hurt, bothers my stomach. But the, the, the misperception is that everybody uses the term spices thinking that it's going to be spicy or hot like a chili. Right. So if someone's having some, uh, you know, heartburn or reflex or more importantly, inflammatory problem, if you read my book, you'll get more information on understanding inflammation, the itis, the gastritis, esophagitis, et cetera. But we we shy people away because we classify all these things since there is a spice as being spicy, which they're not. Some of them are, but a lot of them aren't. But if you already saw the first part one series and now you see part two series, you see a lot of these things are helpful for stomach from inflammation, from upset stomach, for ulcers and healing the gut. And so it's very interesting when we remove this from our diet because people are told, I mean, all the doctors in the United States will say, hey, you have heartburn, avoid spicy foods. So the clients and the patients will go, okay, I can't have any spice. So if someone goes to me like, oh, do you have, the, oh no, I can't have spice because they think everything is gonna cause some kind of problem. But if you look at all these foods and who eats them, they're not taking Zantac for 40 years which now has been shown to have increased risk of cancers, right? The number one prescribed over the, now that became over the counter worldwide acid blocker is a danger to people, right? So we have to incorporate going back to say, why would this be dangerous? Why would a spice be harmful for you? It wasn't, it was a misguidance of people not understanding food and food is medicine and saying, well, just because something in this category Again, this is what happens in America a lot. We kind of stereotype certain things and say, okay, well, this spice is, well, maybe don't eat chilies, for example, if that's too spicy for you. But that doesn't mean that you can't have basil. I mean, I can't have, you can't have ajwan. doesn't mean I can't have asfatida. I can't have all these other spices that I'm going to cover in the series. And that article should be a real huge wake-up call because it's 40 years of something that's been prescribed. Number one, worldwide, billions of dollars every year different ways they've marketed, how they're re-keeping it on the market. And yet, you know, here are the foods that really can actually prevent and resolve the GERD, the heartburn, the reflux. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Miriam says, star anise and clove. I put it in my morning chai tea. Are there possible adverse effects? I've switched to Indian spice tea, added to ginger, fennel, cardamom, peppercorn, and worry it may all have bad effects. Is there a safe dose or things to worry about like heavy metals? Um, so on the safe doses that, you know, when you put them in, you don't want to put in too much. I mean, I always put like a fourth of a teaspoon, half a teaspoon. If I'm making a mix, for example, and like I'm making a chai, for example, um, and you're actually going to cook it for a while. You're going to boil it and you're going to kind of keep it set that, you know, really extracting it from it. Sometimes what I'll do though, if I do it correctly, you can boil it, make your chai mix and you can keep reusing it for a while. Nice. It's still, it's, you know, you can still, it's because, you know, you're using the peppercorns, you're using the anise, you're using the cinnamon, you're going to use all these kind of things. So when I make my chai in the morning, I put my hot water in my little, my little kettle, I have a little strainer thing, but then I even use it the next day because it's still very pungent. Great. Uh, Kathleen said, could you please repeat the name <coughs> of the spice book? Uh, Healing Spices by Dr. Bharat Agarwal. Agarwal. Nice. We have and it has this nice little picture of the anise, right? Cool. 
All right, let's see. Okay, so we have some questions that were submitted before by email. So let's see if we can answer some of those. All right, this is, um, okay, the, this is from Renee. Is there a difference between aniseed and fennel seed? Yes. Just yes, okay. Yes. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I'll, co I'll cover fennel seeds when I get there, but there is a difference. Okay, but you already, I think you already did cover anise. because I did, did cover aniseed. Okay, great. So you'll And the other thing I want to mention that I did mention is black cumin seed is not cumin seed. That's okay. a huge difference, right? So even though they're cumins in, in both words, um, <clears throat> cumin that we use a lot more of here in America. So if you go to the store right now, you can get cumin seed. It's brown. I'll cover that when we get to see coming soon, right? But we use it a lot. We use cumin. Americans use cumin all the time. Right. So we like say if you're making guacamole, secret ingredient guacamole is putting, you know, fourth teaspoon of cumin in there. Right. We use cumin all the time in American cooking. And you'll go to the store, you see cumin, coriander, blah, blah, blah. It's all there. But just because the word cumin is completely different botanical family. So it's not even related. Oh, black cumin, brown cumin. They're not even closely related. We just call them cumin for those reasons. Uh, but it's not. So just letting you know, because a lot of people are like, oh, I'll just get brown cumin just because I like it. it's less pungent and it's cumin. So it should have the same benefits. No, it has benefits, but completely different ones. And I'll explain it when I get to that letter. All right. I thank you for that. OK, here's a question. OK, this is um, in previous interviews, you've touched on dog nutrition. Do you have any recommendations for brand, kind or type to look for dry or wet as an ethical whole food plant based vegan? I can't bring myself to buy meat to make homemade dog food. Also, as a Staffordshire pet parent, please give your staffy many pets from me. This is oh, from that's sweet. That's sweet. Yeah. Winnie, I will have to tell Winnie. Yeah, you got to call him today. <laughs> She'll love that. Um, yeah, it's hard. You know, it was very hard for me when we went plant-based to bring it in the home and cook it. And I still do, which is hard because then the whole house smells and then you know, it's just the whole idea of all this, what's happening. <coughs> so one of the brands I use, again, I'm not trying to endorse anything and also don't, you know, I don't, I haven't done all my research on it, but we use Halo, uh, Halo Holistic Health. They have a, it's a dry. Um, you're going to probably still need to have a little bit more, though, because that's just the uh, the rounding about. Of, it doesn't have enough protein. because That's why you're supposed to add it to. Um, again, they use the protein thing is incorrect, but they, you know, because all the vegetables and, and the grains, legumes and, and the fruits and the berries and seeds and nuts also have protein. Right. But that's just how they sell it. But you'd have to talk to a vet about that, of how to get the amount of protein that your dog needs based on their weight. You know, because th that's the biggest challenge, I think, right now, is that not that those foods are not correct in fact but it's like how much i did shy away from the one and and winnie didn't like for a while i'll probably get trolled for this but there was one that's made out of uh um, um nutritional yeast can you talk about nutritional and, yeast? and i don't um, think i don't think although nutritional yeast is you know can get protein from it i don't think anybody should just be eating nutritional yeast as their source of like their main you know so many grams of protein a day for an animal i don't think that although you know because like remember everything can classify in america as protein right so they got bone broth that can classify as protein. i mean things are terribly toxic for you so just because now something is good for you like nutritional yeast i can sprinkle <laughs> it on my food I'm not sure whether that's something that an animal should just get their primary source of because she didn't like it after a while. And I understood it's like it just because it's not necessarily a food 
source. It's a it's an additive to food, or it's something that we would add as a, con a condiment rather than a, a main. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Oh, okay. Sorry, I sorry. thought we lost sorry. contact. Can you comment on nutritional yeast, even though we're not on? And yet, is it a spice, and is it really good for you? Because I hear so many conflicting things, and I know it tastes really good, but man, it gives me such stomach aches, even in small doses. I, I'm not. I'm not an expert in that, so I'll have to do some research on that. I do know. Um, you know, it's something that people are using, but I think it's being sold as something more than it is, right? So I use it, I would say, as a condiment, like I'm going to flavor something, I'm going to put on my pasta as like kind of a, a cheesy flavor. Uh, it does have B vitamins in there. So some, some, some plant-based vegans will kind of use nutritional yeast to get their B vitamins, but it's not a natural source of B vitamins. It's added B vitamins in there, right? So it's not like Anyway, so some people are like, oh, I don't want to take a, a, a you know, a B complex, but I'll just take my nutritional yeast. But it's like added there. So, um, but anyways, it's not, it's not a, a problem with that. But I think just eating it as a source of protein probably would be some kind of problem with it because I don't think any culture just eats that as a direct source of, like you know, like a main meal. So again, you know, can we sprinkle on and make it like a cheesy macaroni kind of thing, or you know, sprinkle it like a parmesan kind of on your on your uh, pasta or something. That's how I use it, but I'm not sure. Like you know, should uh, and it, although they can manufacture it pretty inexpensively, and that's why they sell it in these big sacks now, bags. I'm not even sure if humans or dogs should eat it as a sole source of protein. Right. Thank you. Okay. So this question isn't about spices, but uh, it's about if an like a physician like you could help with this condition. So hopefully you can uh, give some advice to Betty. Would you kindly ask Dr. Pai if he has any recommendations for someone with hemifacial spasms? Are there any integrative lifestyle neuroacupuncture possibilities? I've had an MRI both with and without contrast, no tumors or nerve and vessel compression seen. I've been whole food plant exclusive for four years. Yeah. So uh, neuroacupuncture will be the, the best thing for that. Um, if they go to neuroacupunctureinstitute.org and look up, there's a, there's a map on the uh, website that will talk about providers that have been trained uh, and then find hopefully the provider in their area. Um, we're trying to train as many people. If you go to neuroacupunctureinstitute.org, there's a wonderful free uh, documentary film called Return to Life. I have a small little role in that video in the movie, which is great, but it's like kind of explained from an integrative perspective how we can help with neurological disorders through a specific type of acupuncture that's not traditional acupuncture. But the world's famous uh, Dr. Jason and Dr. Linda Howe uh, actually live in Albuquerque. Uh, about, and we train people. We have courses for doctors and acupuncturists or anybody who can do acupuncture, uh, DOMs, Doctors of Oriental Medicine as well. And uh, we have uh, courses every year and we're training people to try to get as many people on this map so that hopefully every state will have a few uh, trained people. If you have the ability, there's three levels of training, level one, level two, level three. If you see an L3, then they've already been completed and certified. So that would be the person, if you have choices, I would go to that person first because they've completed all their training. If there's only a level one in your area, I would still go because it's still something that they can provide you wonderful benefits that regular neurology cannot provide anything except for the scan and the diagnosis. But in terms of treatment, uh, that would be wonderful to, to actually have quick response. People can actually improve the facial response from any kind of plegia from that. 
you know what I wanted to ask you because today is was also the truth about weight loss summit and so one of the final speakers because every day we end not with a doctor but with uh, a success story somebody that's lost you know a lot of weight and this right. guy was over 400 pounds and he was saying for him that when he adds most many spices to his food he overeats what do you think about that then they don't know how to I don't th well so let me explain that in it from Ayurvedic perspective in India there's six tastes for foods and in fact, I'll probably want to bring in maybe, I'll, if you don't mind, uh, one of the future uh, episodes, I'll bring in my partner, uh, Dr. Maureen Sutton. She's the doctor of Ayurvedic medicine, more specifically, right? So, but, but there's six tastes, um, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, pungent, and astringent. And now there's a seventh taste, right, that the, that the culinary world brought up, like the umami, right, that earthy uh, flavor. That's kind of the, the, considered the seventh taste of food. Most foods in America, though, are just sweet, sour, and salty. Cheeseburger, French fries, and Coke. Eat those three foods. Eat those three tastes. You will continue to eat more, and you develop more what we call kapha symptoms. Heavy, you start gaining weight. And so when you look at balancing foods and balancing tastes, is that, yes, if somebody's eating too much of the same spices that are still in that category of sweet, sour, and salty, sweet, sour, and salty, then that is a tendency to, to have you eat more. So interesting thing is, traditionally in India, and this has now been shown in science, but when we hit all of those six flavors in a meal, you reach perfect satiety. Regardless, now here's the key, regardless of how much food you eat. So traditionally in India, we used to have something called a thali plates. And if you go to an Indian restaurant, again, again, everything has been modernized. And so we've kind of lost all these traditions. But if, if you go back, or if you went to a classic Indian restaurant, even in India, this is being lost, by the way, right? Because everything's modernizing, right? Everybody wants fast food and whatever, westernized foods. But we used to have a plate, a large plate called a thali. It's like a silver platter. And then there would be all these little cups, these little silver cups that would have a little bit of food in there. And there'd be a rice dish, which is a vegetable. And then there'd be a pickle, something really hot, some kind of something would be very sour, something very spicy, something very salty. And it was just like a spoon of each. It's not much, just like a, a, a spoon. And what they figured out was, since we didn't have food in abundance for millions of people for millions of years, is that if we hit the perfect combination of flavors, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, pungent, and astringent, your brain and your stomach reaches satiety. So that's a way that we could feed families not a lot of food because we didn't have it, but everybody would feel full. The problem is the whole Western diet has been designed, I'm saying designed because it's purposely done, right? And if you ever read any books, I forget the, the book that, that the former FDA commissioner wrote during the Bill Clinton era, I forget his name. And it was talking about the food science of, of layering foods and how, you know, it was always sweet, sour, salty, sweet, sour, like we've known this for thousands of years, but they've now like, this is how when people go to a, a golden arches place or a king of burgers place, like these are things that we eat and then we can't stop eating, even though it's a lot of food. Like I'm having this double cheeseburger, large fries and a Coke, and they're still hungry afterwards is because we're not hitting the satiety in terms of the flavors and the taste combination profiles on our taste and our nose and our tongue and in our, in our brain and our stomach. So there's six flavors, and if you achieve those, now this person who's eating spices, they're probably hitting the spices that are still sweet, sour, and salty. And so, so they're thinking I'm adding spices, but they're not actually adding the other ones, bitter, pungent, and astringent, that will actually help reduce the weight loss or stop you from eating altogether. And now with the seventh umami, we're adding that sometimes now into the foods as well. But having this understanding of taste profile is interesting because a lot of people 
And eventually, like for those people who want to know more and they want to schedule a consultation with Dr. Sutton in my practice is that they can learn about their body type because with each Ayurvedic body type, every mind-body constitution, vata, pitta, kapha, these are just mind-body characteristics that are generalities. But there is certain flavors that they're going to gravitate that they like and certain flavors that they kind of shy away. But also sometimes it can be too much where they gravitate too much and they need to balance that. Everything's about balance. And if you balance your own body type to the foods, then sometimes for people who are overweight and they need to lose weight, we would say these are certain flavors that they need to incorporate in their diet. It's not just caloric restriction, right? Or, you know, fasting. Or this. It's like their body type needs these other flavor components. These are their attributes of their food to actually help balance the imbalance that they're having with overly gaining weight or keeping weight on. Likewise, someone else who's underweight and we need to have them gain weight, we would do something slightly different. So it's not a one size fits all. And so I would, I would encourage anybody who's interested in that kind of aspect or evaluation, then make a consultation with Dr. Maureen Sutton at Sanjevani and she would help you with that. Great. Thank you. There's a question on cardamom from Elizabeth. She says they're green and they're black. So what is the difference? I'll get there when I answer, when I get the C's. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to hold on that one. But cardamom is one of my favorites, and it is one of the second, it's the second most expensive spice in the world. I thought, wait a minute. I thought that the most expensive spice in the world was saffron, followed by vanilla. No, cardamom is second. Really? Yeah. So is vanilla third? I don't know where vanilla is at. I don't think vanilla is that as expensive. I heard it really was. Wait, we, well, let's check our sources. That's interesting. We'll have to check, you know. Now, it also depends on the grade of cardamom, too. You know, like I'm sure there's, just like saffron, I had someone the other day who was buying saffron because I talked about the importance of saffron. And, uh, you know, what they were buying was, you know, most saffron on the market is adulterated or fake. Saffron is the most expensive spice in the world. It, you know, if, if I purchase it and I have to get it from the Middle East and, and, you know, get it shipped here, it's about $250, $350, $350 for a little container. So it's, it's, you know, when people go to the store, they buy a couple of strands. Those are usually not real saffron. It's adulterated like onion flakes and other things that are colored in the markets. And then we'll talk about saffron and all that stuff when I get there. There's a whole discussion about saffron and cardamom and all these other things. That's a song. Remember that song? I'm just wild about saffron. Remember that? Uh, there's also benefits of uh, what's, what's coming on with saffron in, in, in addition to cancer is depression. So there's all sorts of studies now with, with saffron and depression and people trying to patent the saffron again and, and making doing trials with saffron pills and stuff like that. It's just very expensive. So a lot of times, like if it's too, if it's too cheap, it's not real. Oh, maybe when you get to parsley, sage, rosemary and thyme, we can play sermon. There we go. There we go. <laughs> all right. Great. So do you know what spice you're starting with next month? Um, no, I actually don't. Okay. Well, that's okay. Well, we will see you for sure. Like <coughs> the third Monday of the month. Thank you so much, Dr. Pai. And I look forward to everyone hearing your talk on the truth about weight loss summit tomorrow. Thank you. And I hope everybody will join the truth about weight loss and also stay tuned for next month's part three. In the meantime, try to go out with all these four spices, try to look up a recipe, go to the store, get the plant, add another recipe to your diet. Food is medicine. And always we're here to help you if you need. Thank Best you. Of health. Thanks so much. And thanks all, right. all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back at 4 p.m. I have a bonus show today with Mama Shaman from Kuna Prince. I get more compliments on my vegan boots Wonderful. than any other item of clothing I've ever worn. This fabric is from South America. It's like incredible. I've had these for 10 years. 
10 years and people come up to me on the cruise and other speaking events and they don't take my picture. They take a picture of my booths and she's given us all a wonderful 20% discount. And she's going to talk about her vegan journey and these beautiful booths and other types of clothing she makes. Take It's almost as colorful as your background, Dr. Yeah, Bonnie. I love those booths, by the way. So I'll probably have to give you something like that. <laughs> all right. Great. Take care, right. everybody. Take care, everybody. In 45 minutes. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.